Hello, and welcome to Stick Together, bringing you union news and discussion on social justice issues. Stick Together is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR and broadcast across the country on the Community Radio Network. I'm Matt Kunkel. This week on the show, in addition to your weekly wrap of union news, we'll bring you edited highlights from a recent forum held by the Search Foundation in Sydney. The forum examined the current attacks on workers and in particular the imminent cuts to penalty rates. But first, some union news. The Fair Work Commission has handed down its decision in the annual minimum wage review. The federal minimum wage will rise by 3.3% on the 1st of July this year. The rise equates to 59 cents an hour, making the new minimum wage $18.29 an hour, or $694.90 for a full-time worker. The rise will affect the approximately 2.3 million workers who rely on either the minimum wage or the modern awards. While the rise is marginally higher than the rate of inflation, it will do little to address the cut in the real value of wages for workers in the retail, hospitality and pharmacy sectors who are facing imminent cuts to their penalty rates. The ACTU had applied for a rise of $45 per week and a long-term goal of pegging the minimum to half the median wage. It argued that such a rise was required to lift minimum wage earners out of poverty. Unions and the ACTU have slammed the decision, which comes as new figures reveal that while wages have grown by only 0.9% on average, corporate profits over the same period are up by almost 40%. ACTU Secretary Sally McManus said, If our current rules can't deliver a decent pay rise, then they need to change. The only way that workers can guarantee wage increases and secure employment is to join a union and change the rules. The minimum rates of pay in modern awards will also rise from July 1. Check with your union to make sure you're getting paid the right rates. Workers at Carter Holt Harvey have voted down a new proposed agreement as the lockout of approximately 200 workers enters its ninth week. CFMEU, ETU and AMWU members marched into the central Victorian town of Myrtleford last week to cast their ballots under the watch of company-organised security guards. Here's National Secretary of the CFMEU, Michael O'Connor, speaking shortly after the result was announced. Today we won the ballot at Milford. Our members have stood together, stood tall, and they've defeated the company's proposal. So we now call upon Carol Harvey to stop this lockout, stop inflicting pain upon its workforce, stop inflicting pain upon their families, stop inflicting pain on the community at Milford. Let's stop the lockout. Let's negotiate a fair deal for the workers and the community. So we now call upon the company to do the right thing. Stop its war on our members. Stop its war on their families. Again, congratulations to the workers at Myrtleford and thanks to all those union members across the country for their solidarity and support. The Workers United will never be defeated. Tensions have started to rise in the regional town of Myrtleford as the local economy starts to struggle with such a large number of their neighbours no longer drawing income. While union members marched through the town, some members of the public urged them to return to work. Yet the gates to the mill remained locked by the company, who was refusing workers' demands for a fair pay increase, the ability to take time off at Christmas, and income protection insurance. Here's mill worker Corinne speaking from the picket line. I've been here for five to six years. We're feeling more like drones that have been made to put into a cupboard and left and forgotten about. Um, I believe with a pay increase, um, Christmas holidays and income protection, it would make this a, a fairer working place like, and less stress on workers that come here every day and you know, do their job, do the right thing by the bosses and 
yeah, to be locked out is pretty gutting. So I want my um, future for my nephews and my, my children to be a, a good one and a prosperous one. Not one where we're standing like, you know, kneeling on our, on our knees, begging. We're standing on our feet, living the way we're supposed to. The lockout continues. You can find out more details and donate to the Fighting Fund at myrtleford.org.au. Myrtleford is spelt M-Y-R-T-L-E-F-O-R-D. 25 electricians remain unable to return to work for the Brisbane City Council. Three weeks ago, the council refused to allow the electricians to work unless they dropped their low-level industrial bans. The dispute has spilled into the council chamber, with Labor-aligned councillors moving a motion condemning the mayor and council management over their treatment of the workers. Liberal-aligned councillors used their numbers to block the motion. The workers who perform critical maintenance work on traffic lights, other road signals and street lighting are fighting against a council push to change rostering provisions which would allow council management to force workers into doing permanent shift work with limited notice. Here's Queensland ETU Media Officer Dan Nanakrau catching up with one of the electricians caught up in the dispute. Corey, can you tell uh, the people just a little bit of reason why you guys have been locked out and found yourselves in the situation here? Yeah, no worries. So... ABA negotiations have been going since October last year. Um, council's trying to bring in a system where they can pretty much tell us when we have to work. There will be limited um, you know, negotiations on that for us. So they're pretty much saying that I can work weekends or they can force me onto night shift. Um, and I really don't have a say in that. If I don't apply to it, they can give me um, disciplinary action or they can potentially contract my work out. Um, we already work night shifts when needed to, I already work weekends, you know, we don't see a need for this in our area, um, so we flat out do not want this, but they haven't budged at all in any negotiations. So we put on some minor work bans, uh, one was paperwork and non-safety related signal faults, just to slow down some intersections. No effect to the public at all as far as safety, anything safety related we would fix. Um, they've turned around and taken retaliation after about 18 hours, they took retaliation industrial action on us and they kicked us out, so they said pretty much if you want to have your bands, don't come back to work, you're not needed. One, because it's not valued to the ratepayers. Don't see how that is after they've shut down half the bloody staff at depot. And two, because it's going to be a safety issue, but in our bands we said we'd fix anything safety related, so that's where we're at now. And so these flexible working hours that they want to introduce, there's a lot of guys here with young families and uh, commitments to looking after those kids. That would cause just havoc to, to those kids trying to drug, juggle those commi commitments, is that correct? Correct, yeah. So we've got a lot of guys here that work here for the conditions, not for the pay. It's pretty average. So they're here for the conditions and they're trying to take that away from us now. So we've got guys here with sport, the kids on the weekends. Um, they could be rostered on to do every, Friday, every Saturday, Sunday of the year. And if that's how someone uptown and council wanted to run the place, that's what they could do. So, or yeah, for me, myself, I've got a fiance, we, um, she works long hours during the day. I'd probably be put on tonight because I know they're looking for people to go on tonight and I wouldn't see her during the day at all. I'd see her probably half an hour a day and they could possibly roster me on nights over the weekend as well so I wouldn't even see her over the weekend. So Corey, we've had a like, rolling crews of about 21 electricians that have been locked out here um, at the moment. What, what can the people at home do to sort of help support these guys? Um, well, you can get onto your local councillor or anyone in, um, in power with the council, send them an email, ask them what's going on. You know, we think this is a massive overreaction from council. Um, we were expecting to have maybe our pay docs or something like that. So get onto your, your local member, ask them what's going on with us. 
Um, we've also got a GoFundMe account set up for the guys here because a lot of them are single income earners with families or their apprentices. So this is going on two weeks now, so it's getting pretty tough for us. Um, yeah, other than that, come down, support us. Yeah, just spread the news pretty much that we are not on strike. Council's done an overreaction and locked us out. The dispute looks set to escalate as the Queensland Secretary of the AMWU, Rowan Webb, indicated that his members at the council are in the late stages of approving industrial action and will join their ETU comrades on the picket line shortly. The fight to protect penalty rates intensified this week as campaigners descended on the rural Victorian seat of Indi, with local independent Cathy McGowan refusing to support a private member's bill which would prevent the imminent cuts to penalty rates. Cathy McGowan has based her refusal to protect penalty rates behind the fig leaf of respecting the independent umpire. This is despite voting to overturn a decision of the Road Safety Remuneration Tribunal which would have increased truck drivers' pay in order for them to not have to work unsafe hours just to survive. Worse than that, she then voted to abolish the independent umpire altogether. Ms McGowan also voted to change the Fair Work Act to circumvent the decision to approve the Victorian Firefighters EBA, causing a continuation of the years-long dispute. It might appear that Ms McGowan only respects the decision of the independent umpire when she agrees with it. The union campaigners held street stalls and gathered petition signatures across McGowan's electorate in Benalla, Wangaratta and Wodonga. Their activities culminated in a protest outside Ms McGowan's electorate office, where the MP came out to address the crowd. It did not go well for her. The crowd, tired of her evasion, started chanting yes or no, yes or no. McGowan's continued refusals to commit to protect penalty rates did not please the noisy crowd. Here are two of her constituents talking outside her office at the rally. I'm Erin, I live in Wodonga. I study social work at Latrobe University. I've lived here for five years. Previously, I lived in Griffith, which is about, I don't know, from here, it's about five hours northwest of here. And um, I've always worked in retail until probably about a year ago, but when I worked in retail, those penalty rates were basically all I had. Um, I couldn't work during the week because I had my studies and basically when I had Centrelink coming in and penalty rates coming in, that was the bare minimum. You don't save, you don't, you basically have nothing. You'll be lucky if you can buy a steak at the end of the week, even, you know, and that's a thin steak, you know, <laughs> that's a thin steak. So, you know, all I have to say is, like I said before, there are people in this community which have been affected by domestic violence. There's already, two years ago, the, count, the homelessness was 86 people on this street, living out of a home. How many are there couch surfing? How many that can't afford rent? Whatever happened to social justice? Because it doesn't seem like it's coming from these guys at all. I voted for Kathy McGowan and I'm disgusted. I campaigned on the side of the street for her because I saw the crap that was coming out of the other politicians. And now it's exactly the same, coming out of her. Everyone probably heard most of what I said before, but I'm Pip, I grew up in Yay, which is two hours kind of south-ish towards London, <laughs> but still in the seat of Indi. I also voted for Cathy when she was um, up for election because I really thought that maybe she would be the voice of Indi. I really thought that she would look after working people and actually protect working people. However, these cuts obviously are not going to protect working people and as you just saw, she's not willing to say yes, that she will protect them. I know as a uni student, I relied on penalty rates. My family continue to rely on penalty rates through their studies. Uh, they work on weekends. A lot of friends work on weekends. They need penalty rates. And I've seen personally, I couldn't have fed myself. I couldn't have clothed myself. I couldn't have bought my uni books if I didn't have penalty rates. Things that you just need in everyday life, but 
people who are already earning so little, it is basically break it or make it. You know, you get your penalty rates or you can't do anything. So I just want to call on Kathy to actually say yes, to stand with us, to stand with people like me, my family, my friends, my communities, and look after us. Do what she said she was going to do when she went for election. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. Earlier this year, the Fair Work Commission handed down a decision that would cut penalty rates for retail, hospitality and pharmacy workers. We've just learnt this week that unless stopped by either Parliament or union appeals to the Federal Court, these cuts will be implemented on the 1st of July this year. In late May, the Search Foundation held a forum in Sydney, examining the penalty rates issue and the union movement's response. Our feature this week is some of the highlights from the forum. We'll begin with Dr. Jim Stanford, Director of the Centre for Future Work. I'm going to go through a few facts and figures related to the penalty rates fight. Number one, this is a shocking statistic. The weekend is still a thing. Okay? This is amazing. Okay? Because they're trying to portray this idea that the world is 24-7. What are you complaining about having to work on a weekend? Okay? And they put that idea out there. And then this is part of the... Uh, logic that the Fair Work Commission used in this decision to say, ah, weekend, you know, we used to worry about working on the weekends, but it's not such a big deal anymore. This is why we're going to uh, cut the rates. The reality is that that's, that's not true. It's true people don't go to church on Sundays to the same degree that they used to, but that's not what the weekend is. You know, that's never what the weekend was. Uh, but uh, it isn't all about, you know, a, a long-term cultural change where a Saturday or a Sunday is just the same as any other day of the week. Think back, I mean, after all, we're in the place where we won the 8, 8, and 8, and where we won the concept of the weekend to start with. Back then, the bosses said, what's different about Saturday or Sunday? The sun rises, the sun sets, you can work, you should work. So we have been fighting this idea that the weekend is separate, to try and put a fence around it as a way of reclaiming some of our time and some of our life uh, as working people. And the reality is, it still is a thing. Most people in Australia do not work on weekends. Most don't. And in fact, the better off you are in society, the more successful you are at keeping a fence around the weekend. Try phoning the Fair Work Commission on Saturday and see if anyone answers the phone, okay? Try phoning the uh, Institute for, uh, uh, what is it, the, uh, thank you, the Institute of Public Affairs, the IPA. Call them right now. Somebody Google their number and call them right now and tell me if they're at work. Of course they're not. Uh, people still value the weekend and there's reasons for it. There's lots of scientific evidence, in fact, more all the time from a number of fields, uh, including health care studies, sociology, uh, uh, family studies, about what it means to have a weekend and have a weekend that's free from work. And there's lots of evidence that if you have to work weekends, you pay a price for it in terms of disengagement from your community, extra stress for your families, uh, and extra health and mental stress on yourself. Fact number two. Penalty rates are a crucial source of income uh, for many workers. We found that about 2.75 million Australian employees are at work on any typical weekend, working Saturday or Sunday or both. So that is uh, over one in four Australian employees. Now, penalty rates uh, were originally intended with two roles. One was to discourage, work, uh, discourage employers from hiring people on the weekend as a kind of a disincentive or a penalty, that's where the term comes from, but also was to give recognition to the workers for the extra burden that they experienced as a result of working on weekends and, uh, and a fair recognition. But there's a practical thing that's happened as well, which is penalty rates have become a very important source of income for those who 
uh, end up having to work on, on weekends. And this is where we got a, a big number, $14 billion a year, we estimated, and we think the estimate's very conservative, of the total additional income that workers get as a result of the penalty rates paid in all those sectors. Uh, and that extra income uh, represents about 2.5% of all labour income in Australia's economy. That's not just what you make on Sunday, that's just the value of the, of the penalty rate itself. And this, remember, is in a setting where wages are absolutely stagnant anyways, right? It's not like we're getting big wage gains that could set this, uh, offset this. So uh, it is a, economically $14 billion a year is a, um, a big chunk of change. Third fact, uh, the people who are working on weekends uh, in general are already marginalized, underpaid, and insecure. That's the reality. And this is not an accident. This is, again, why the employers selected these sectors as their first the target. Generally, in most, uh, in most uh, industries and in most companies, if you're working on weekends, it's because you're lower down on the ladder and you didn't have the, the power or the seniority to say, no, I don't want to work weekends. Uh, uh, disproportionately, it's people who are already in part-time or casual work, so they're getting lower wages and lots of uh, variation in their wages. Uh, statistically, uh, women, youth, and immigrants make up a larger uh, share, a disproportionate share. So the reality is, however you dress it up with whatever economic arguments the Productivity Commission has invoked or the Fair Work Commission has invoked or the business lobbyists have invoked, the reality is you're going to take a lot of money out of the pockets of people who are already relatively poor and insecure. This will uh, worsen the problem of inequality that we're seeing in Australia's economy. So, uh, fourth fact, if you cut people's wages, they don't go shopping. Okay, this is a, a, you know, a confirmed correlation in, in <laughs> economics, okay? So when the business lobbyists and even the Fair Work Commission, in a kind of mealy-mouthed way, accepted their arguments, they said, if we, if we can pay less for work on the weekends, then we'll just create more jobs. Well, let's think about this, okay? You know, you could say if big screen TVs were cheaper, I might buy one at home, okay? But employers don't hire labor to stand around and decorate the place, okay? They don't buy it for their own sake. They buy labor to produce something that they can sell. So how much labor they hire depends mostly on whether they can sell the product that labor has been hired to produce, okay? So again, that seems sort of evident. So if workers are cheaper on the weekend, are firms, are retail stores and hospitality sector going to hire more to do it? Well, the only reason they're hired is to sell stuff for people who come in to buy it. And the reality is, people aren't going to go shopping more just because the wages for people in the stores and the, and the restaurants has, has fallen. In fact, uh, quite the contrary. In the retail and hospitality sectors, more than any other sector of the economy, this is what's so ironic here, demand for the product is directly dependent on the purchasing power of workers. In other sectors, you know, like mining, say, we don't depend so much on how much workers have in their pocket. In retail and hospitality, you depend totally and utterly on how much money workers have in their pocket. Cutting penalty rages on the weekend doesn't change that by a, a bit. In fact, if it changes it, it makes it a little bit worse. It means there's a few hundred thousand people in Australia who've got a little less money in their pocket. And they like to go out to shopping and cafes as well, just like the rest of us do. If you study the uh, economic evidence internationally, um, the effect of any changes in regulatory minimums, whether it's a special penalty rate or just a basic minimum wage, on employment levels uh, is very, very hard to detect in the data, 
and in fact indeterminate in sign, which means in some cases they seem to find a positive relation between higher minimum wages and employment levels. Perhaps because of the sort of relationship that we're talking about where higher wages mean people can uh, spend more. You're listening to Stick Together, where we've just heard from the director of Centre for Future Work, Dr Jim Stanford, speaking about penalty rates at a forum held by the Search Foundation in Sydney. Next up is the coordinator of the Victorian-based Young Workers Centre, Kelia Fitzpatrick. We found that one in five young workers aren't paid the minimum wage. So we know we're hearing about wage theft scandals very, very frequently, um, and our data found, uh, confirmed that idea that for a lot of young people, um, the idea of award rates or the minimum wage is a fiction. It's, it's simply, um, it's not a legal flaw anymore. Um, and what's making that worse is that young people see that their peers in a workplace um, are not getting paid it either. So it just kind of normalises these below um, legal standards rates. The next big one, and this kind of ties in with the theme of today's around penalty rates, the number one thing that we heard from young workers from young workers after the Fair Work Commission's um, decision um, around penalty rates was, I wasn't getting them anyway. So we know that young people are disproportionately affected by the Commission's decision, but the reality is, is that penalty rates are not being paid to young workers who are entitled to them under the award anyway. And it's because of this widespread wage theft problem uh, and the normalisation of that wage theft. We found that three in four young workers worked on sociable hours such as nights, weekends and evenings, but less than half are being paid penalty rates for that work. And the final statistic was that um, one in five young workers have, paid, have worked unpaid trials to get their foot in the door. Uh, the other one is that one in two have experienced off-the-clock pay violations, which is that very, very common practice, particularly in retail and hospitality, of where you clock off at 8 o'clock, but you actually keep cleaning until 8.40 every night, uh, and, and you just simply don't get paid for that additional time. So that's the, the, the research um, that we've been putting out. Now, the penalty rates decision, as I said, a, a, a very big response from young workers that we spoke to when it, the, the, the decision was made was, well, I was, wasn't getting them anyway. Regardless of that response, we thought that this was a key organising opportunity to engage with young workers um, about their workplace rights and the need to fight for those rights. Some, some of the trade unions' response... Um, has largely been an electoral response. So we saw this being framed um, as Turnbull's decision. So completely shifting from the fact that the decision came from the commission um, and saying that this was this was Turnbull's prerogative. And, you know, that makes sense because the, we know that the Libs have been pushing for a cut to penalty rates for a long time and been, have been promising their mates um, in various employer associations um, that they will be pursuing it. The electoral strategy was important, um, targeting the crossbenchers is important, targeting marginal, marginal MPs um, who support the decision is important. But for us, we really wanted to ensure that, that this penalty rates decision was used as an organising opportunity in workplaces. So the first thing that we did was um, we wanted to try a tactic that came from the Bernie Sanders campaign where they'd try and get hundreds of people in one room and activists would split off into their own groups and plan their own campaign actions that they would then recruit for. So very, very action-oriented, very much run by activists rather than paid organisers from the campaign, decentralising how actions were run and how the recruitment was done. So we held a young workers emergency meeting in the loading bay at Trades Hall, the CFMEU loading bay in Trades Hall, um, 
we wanted to try and get scale and we wanted to immediately break into groups um, and start planning actions um, that again we're focusing on employers and workers as being the target rather than MPs <coughs> and political parties being the tar target um, and it, you know it's my view that the two are very complementary um, and both need to be done so we got about 75 80 young workers in the room um, uh, we immediately broke everyone up into smaller groups. Um, leaders were then elected to put that up their hand and they then got to work planning a specific action that they would commit to holding in the next month. Um, so since then we have we had nine actions around Melbourne um, run completely by volunteers. Um, a lot of a lot of the tactics used were about going into shopping centres, food courts, um, doing blitzes. Um, and again, it's that peer-to-peer -peer going and trying to target young workers while they're at work, having a brief conversation with them about penalty rates and whether they had had a conversation with their boss about whether the change would be implemented. A lot of employers and what we heard through these actions is that some of them had already started implementing the cut, so well before the July 1st um, implementation date. Um, which is unsurprising, but nevertheless alarming. And that was a really good experience for us to try that, try that approach, um, to really get um, activists to kind of step up and, and plan their own activities and then recruit themselves. So really trying to push that out to get activists to step up to do the work. Um, and again, that focus on peer-to-peer -peer organising, that this is all about young people going to speak to young people about um, what's happening to their penalty rates, what's happening in their workplace. So just briefly, the next phase of the penalty rates campaign that we're planning, um, we want to target, we want workers going out to businesses, talking to the workers in businesses to get their employers to pledge not to implement the penalty rates cut. And another key part of this strategy is around naming and shaming. So that's where our campaign is heading next and gives you some insight into our thinking. Um, we want to try different tactics um, and be a bit ex ex experimental in what we're doing here. We don't want to just do what we always do. Um. Well, that brings us to the end of another week's show. Thanks to Search Foundation, ETU Queensland and the Victorian Tradesall Council for supplied audio for this program. Stick Together is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. We acknowledge the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Federation that assists us in keeping workers' stories and union news on the air. Shows like Stick Together are only made possible by support from listeners like you. So be sure to call your local community radio station today and subscribe. The podcast of this show and other recent episodes can be found at www.3cr.org.au forward slash stick together you can also subscribe to the podcast on itunes if you'd like to contact the producers of the show you can either send us an email to stick together 3cr at gmail.com or call us on 03-9419-8377 you can also find us on facebook just search stick together program where there will be links to support both the locked out workers at myrtleford and the electricians in brisbane finally remember no matter where you are or what you do, there is a union for you. I've been Matt Kunkel. Until next time, stick together. Stick together.